Well, well, well. It's so good to be with all of you this weekend. I'm excited to be here. I, I say that a lot, but I really am super excited to be here every single time because there really is nothing like gathering together with the people of God to remind our souls of the goodness of God, to be inspired through the singing toward one another and to God of the goodness of God, and to be able to express to Him from our souls His greatness to us. I mean, that, that in of itself is awesome. And then that we actually get to explore the extraordinary revelation of God that He gave to us together as we watch and see what the Spirit of God will lead and press into in us so that we might live in the freedom that God has given us. And, and just that is very exciting. And so uh, we have journeyed together, as you know, over a decade now uh, through the story of God unfolding in the scriptures, starting in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We've traveled through the Old Testament watching God unfold his story in us and through us and our story in him. We have traveled out of the Old Testament into the Gospels, watching the fullness of God's promise realized in the person of Jesus Christ coming to planet Earth, living, dying, rising from the dead to produce and to create the redemptive story that God had been revealing throughout the entire scriptural story. And then as we entered into the book of Acts out of the Gospels in the chronological unfolding of the story of God, we began to watch as the gospel, the redemptive story of God, taking hold in God's people through the power of the Holy Spirit, has been moving out from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and now to the ends of the earth through the people of God. And, and we are a part of that story. So, I mean, it has been an amazing journey to watch. And as we are chronologically following that story and geographically traveling through that story, in the most recent part of our travels, we have found ourselves with Paul in Macedonia on the western side of the Aegean Sea where Philippi and, and, and Thessalonica and, and Athens and Berea and all those great cities sit. And we're sort of in Roman territory. And we're with Paul in Macedonia because he has traveled from Ephesus on the other side of the Aegean Sea into Macedonia searching for Titus because he had sent Titus to Corinth in Achaia, which is south of Macedonia, to go and deliver a very hard letter. So, so you remember, uh, if you've been around, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth uh, because of some conflict that they were having because some guys came up from Jerusalem into Corinth. They undermined Paul's leadership, Paul's authority, the gospel Paul preached, the, the, the reality of Christ Paul brought to the table. And, and in so doing, they were trying to produce for themselves a platform at the, at the church of Corinth because the church of Corinth was a wealthy church. Uh, it was a church in a wealthy city, a prosperous city. And so here's this established church that Paul had established and they knew if they showed up, if they presented a better resume and a, a, and a better ministry philosophy and a, and a better this and a better that and a better sounding gospel, that these people would follow them and in so doing support them and establish a, an ongoing sustainable ministry. And so this had been stirred up. Paul had gotten word about that, written a letter, 1 Corinthians. After that letter, things didn't go so well. Paul made a visit to Corinth. The visit went really badly. Paul was very hurt by that visit. The accusations were cast at him. He left Corinth after that visit, and he wrote a severe letter. We don't have access to it. 
<laughs> it was that severe. And after the severe letter, Titus didn't return, so Paul was nervous. He goes to Macedonia, he finds Titus. Titus tells him, listen, the severe letter, it did its work. The people of Corinth were moved by it. They repented, they want to reconcile, they're sorry. There's still some questions, but they'd like to move forward. Paul is super excited, so he writes 2 Corinthians, the third letter he writes to the church in Corinth. Writes it from Macedonia to Corinth. In this letter, he is preparing the way for a visit that he's gonna make to Corinth. He's excited about the visit, but nervous, wouldn't you be? The last time a visit happened went badly. And so uh, in wisdom, Paul is sending a letter to say, listen, I'm, I'm planning to come, super excited, but I, I want to make sure we establish some right expectations so that when I come, it doesn't have to be madness, okay? Let's have this one be nice. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna really talk through some important clarities that we all have on the table so we can smooth out and clear up some of the mess that has been us. And this letter turned out to be one of the most extraordinary unpackings of the beauty of the gospel that I have yet encountered in scripture. Because Paul was really just going, listen, if we're gonna get this, we gotta start with the beauty of the gospel. We gotta talk about how that gospel changes everything. We've talked about God's grace to us, God's grace through us, our grace to others in response to God's grace to us, the great new covenant that's for us in Christ, the hope that that covenant establishes for our future, which creates a fearless boldness in us to be able to invade the darkness of this planet on behalf of Christ, to which he says, in 2 Corinthians, we are the ambassadors of Christ, the ministers of reconciliation for people to God. We ought to go and we ought to find the hard, the dark, the difficult, the dead places and go make a difference on behalf of Christ, right? And now after he's done all of that in this letter and we're like, oh, this is so good. He's now going to close the letter out uh, in, in the last few kind of sections and it's going to get super practical now. He's, because here's what he's doing. He's saying, in light of the gospel that I've unpacked in this letter, there are some things Titus told me that you guys are still kind of lingering in and we may as well clear them up now so when I come, we don't get all embarrassed. We don't get all mad. And if you remember in chapter eight and nine, which we dealt with last weekend, we talked about the issue of generosity, but that was born out of a very practical reality. They had made a commitment uh, for some funding for the church in Jerusalem. They were reneging on their commitment. And Paul said, I told the Macedonians about your commitment. And when I bring them, you better have it because otherwise they're gonna be embarrassed. I'm gonna be embarrassed. You're gonna be embarrassed. The gospel's gonna be embarrassed and I'm gonna be mad. So instead of doing all that, Kind of get yourself sorted. And what we got to experience is a most extraordinary view of the power and the blessing of generosity. Now Paul's gonna do it again. He's gonna deal with the next practical reality. It should be simple. This should be the boring part of the letter. Honestly, we should be like, oh my gosh, the gospel is awesome. Now it's just getting through some of the business stuff. But as always, the Spirit of God is using this ordinary stuff to not only demonstrate to us how Paul is dealing with the Corinthians, having everything informed by the gospel, but also giving us a vision and a clarity of how we are to live in view of the gospel in some ordinary things that we are gonna deal with as Christ followers in the church together. And so now Paul has to get practical. Now, when he gets practical in this next part, he is going to enter into the space that started this whole mess. 
Because remember, what got everybody into this mess in the first place was the fact that the people from Jerusalem that came up with their credentials and their brochures and their ministry effectiveness and their awesomeness and their super apostleness, they came in and they said, look, we are the thing and Paul is not and you need to follow us. In order to establish a platform where they could gain a following, where they could resource themselves with the church, they had to undermine Paul's authority and leadership. And it was out of that undermining of Paul's authority and leadership that all these other things kind of birthed themselves. And so what Paul's going to do right now is say, before I come, I I don't want to have this discussion again. So we're going to talk a little bit about the reality of leadership and clear some things up right now so that we know where we go. Let's take a look at what Paul does. Grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 Paul is getting ready now to say, here's another issue that we just gotta clear up before I come. Let's see what we discover as the church through Paul's dialogue with the Corinthian church in this very practical issue that turns out to be an extraordinary vision of what we ought to expect as people in the church in leadership. Take a look at this. Chapter 10, verse one, 2 Corinthians. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness of and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, exclamation mark. Is that not a weird sentence? <laughs> Look, I mean, we read this stuff like it's normal. Oh yeah, no, I, I, I get what that means. You know, I, Paul, in the humility of Christ, come who's bold and not. I mean, when you read this stuff, guys, remember, you don't have to pretend it's normal, okay? You can go, what on earth just happened? But you see, if you don't understand the nuances of the history in this particular space, you won't know that Paul was just super sarcastic. He just poked at the Corinthians, and he set the table for a very hard discussion with a bit of fun, but not so fun. Okay, all that just happened in one sentence. Here's why. Because what Paul is doing is he's saying to them, Titus told me what those bozos are telling you about me. Now don't worry, you might you just call them bozos. Paul will call them much worse. It's gonna be like a cakewalk. So uh, I can do that. Now look, look here. See, what they had said is they had said that Paul has split personality. That ultimately, when he shows up in person, he's this gentle soul that's patient with them and kind to them. He doesn't get mad at them. He's not corrective. He's not bold. He has long cups of coffee working through the issues. And then as soon as he leaves, he writes letters that are harsh and and overbearing and full of authority. And he's got this weird split personality. And the reason he's doing it is because he's weak when he's with them he's too scared to be bold and when he's away then he has the courage to write big bold letters to scare them so when he comes back he can be authoritative without being mean that's what they told him so Paul starts off and goes all right so here's what we're gonna do We're, we're gonna we're gonna write to you in meekness in the letter so I don't have to be bold when I come And if you were in Corinth and you read that little sentence, you'd go, oh, you'd sort of shift in your seat a bit uncomfortable. I know what Paul's going to deal with now. We should never have listened to those guys. Watch, take a look. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. So Paul just said that. You think when I come to Corinth, I'm all gentle because I'm scared. I ain't scared. 
I have been gentle because I love you. He's going to say that later on. But when I come back, there are some people that have been stirring the pot on this issue. And when I get there, we're going to go in a little room together and they're going to find out what bold looks like face to face. You might not want to be in that room. You might not want to be part of that issue. So I beg of you, get this sorted out before I come because when I come, if this is still going on, you're not going to get the meek and mild Paul that you got last time. You're not going to get the guy sitting, taking the accusations and being patient with you. You're not going to get the guy that walks off and leaves you to write a letter. You're going to get the guy face to face who is boldly going to proclaim the realities of this insanity. That's what he's starting out, right? So he's being pretty straightforward right now. Now he's going to unpack it. Look at this. For though we walk in the flesh... So in other words, he's saying, we are human, present with you, though we walk in the flesh. We are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Wow, that's a lot. What is Paul doing here? What Paul is doing is he's setting up the purpose of why he came in the first place, why he's going to return, why he discipled them, and what he's about when he's doing ministry among them. Because again, the accusations were that Paul is strategic in his decisions to be able to woo the people to follow him instead of following these super apostles that have now shown up with larger resumes and better brochures, okay? And so here's what they said of Paul. Listen. When he comes, his gentle meekness is to woo you uh, because he's ultimately about himself and he wants you to follow him. And here Paul says, listen, for those who say that what we do is for the flesh and by the flesh, I'm going to have word with them when I get there. Because it couldn't be further from the truth. When we come to you, we don't come to you with worldly strategies to try to gain platform to be able to become someone you want to follow. What we do is we come with the authority of God and the gospel of God so that we can bring into submission any of the cultural thinking or the world's thinking that might not agree with the realities of the gospel. And when we bring that truth, we bring it against strongholds, we bring it against thinking that is wrong, and we will bring wrong thinking into submission to Christ, and we will make those thoughts obey until we are living in obedience to Christ. You see, the purpose of Paul's work among the Corinthians is to bring the truth of the gospel so that it would inform their lives, so that they might live their lives in obedience to the kingdom of God and to the word of God, so they might live freely as ambassadors of Christ, devoted to Jesus and on mission for the kingdom. And these other people are saying that he's there working to establish his own platform and gain their resources. And that's actually what they're doing. So Paul's going to go there. Watch. Watch this. Verse 7. Look at what is before your eyes. I, I, I just got to say this. I love the scriptures because it's written by real people. And God allows that. It doesn't diminish the power of scripture. It actually enhances it. That God would be so wondrous that he would allow Paul's sarcasm and Paul's frustration and Paul's humanity to bleed through the words without in any way diminishing the truth that the spirit is revealing. I mean, here's Paul. Listen how he writes. Look what's in front of you. Isn't that sound frustrating to you? 
I say this to my kids all the time. Can't you see? It's right here. Why can't you hear this? Sometimes they need to say it to me. And here Paul says it. Look at this. If anyone is confident that he is in Christ's, or that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast, uh, I boast a little too much of my authority. Oh, let's just stop there for a second. Why is Paul saying this? That's another weird sentence, isn't it? Look what he just said. Whenever you remember that you're in Christ, you ought to remember that I'm in Christ too. Because again, these guys had said, you know, I don't even think Paul's a believer. I mean, the gospel he preached, this gospel where you lay down your life and you, and you take on the hard things and you, and, and you lose things and you, and you don't gain from others and you don't seek God, uh, God's approval to try to give you what you want. This is crazy talk. God wants to bless you and, and he wants to make you happy. And, and, and so just gather together and don't listen to Paul. And here's what Paul's saying is, for those people that say, I don't know Jesus, let, let's just do this, okay? For those of you that think you belong to Jesus, you might want to remember that I belong to Jesus before you, which is why you belong to Jesus. Because who came and shared the gospel with the Corinthians? It was Paul. Do you remember how this went down? If you were here when we were in the book of Acts, do you remember? He came to Corinth after he traveled through that horrid run from Philippi to Thessalonica to Berea to Athens and he'd been chased out of town and he gets to Corinth, the Vegas of our day and the first thing that happens to be is he preaches the gospel and the people go ballistic and they want to kick him out of town. Then he's packing up to leave and God says to him, I want you to stay here. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. This place is a death zone and I'm out. And God goes, no, I have people here I want to rescue. So you're staying and I will protect you. And so Paul stayed. And so because he stayed, he shared the gospel boldly and people came to Jesus and the church was born. And so here's what Paul's actually saying. When you remember that you belong to Jesus, by definition, I belong to Jesus because I brought you to Jesus. So you can't be saying, well, I belong to Jesus, but Paul doesn't because Paul kind of brought me to Jesus. Now, does that sound like boasting? Does that sound like Paul is saying, Look, these, these bozos didn't bring you to Jesus. I brought you to Jesus. And you only know Jesus because I brought you to Jesus. That sounds like boasting a little bit to me. So now Paul knew that, so look what he writes next. Immediately he knows that's exactly what it's gonna sound like, so he says this. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which P.S., the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. So he's saying, look, if it seems like I'm boasting a bit that I brought you to Christ and so therefore you ought to remember that the gospel I brought you is the right gospel, I'm not gonna apologize because you see what Paul is preparing to do here is to set it up so he can show these people that the people they're following have a gospel that is destructive to their well-being and Paul does not want to tolerate that anymore and so he's going, if I boast a little too much, I'm not even gonna apologize for that because you guys are so blinded to what is true that if my boasting is what it takes to wake you up, then I'm going to do it. And now he says, look, I didn't want to frighten you with my letters. Look, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, oh, there they are, they, the evil people, look at it. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Isn't that so funny? Paul's like, I've heard what they say. When I'm present with you, my speech makes no sense. It's different than the letters. The, the letters say one thing, and then when I'm with you, I say another. I'm all over the place. So let's clarify a few things. Let such a person understand 
that what we say by letter, when absent, we do when present. Here's what Paul's saying. He's shifting the argument from the ability and talent and resume and brochure that Paul brings to the table, though he had a big one, he hasn't brought it to the table yet, right? He's shifting it from that to the content of the message. He's saying, these people think what I do when I'm with you is different than what I do when I write letters, but here's the truth. What I say in the letter is exactly what I say when I'm with you. You can remember what I taught you when I was there and you can, re- you can read the letter and it is exactly the same content. It is exactly the same gospel. It is exactly the same reality. Now, I do bring it to you differently. I'm gentle and kind when I'm there because I don't want to embarrass you guys and be mean. I want to be patient and long-suffering with you. And yes, I'm a little more harsh in the letters because I need to say it short and quick in a letter. I don't want to frighten you, but these people that are saying these are different content realities are dead wrong. It's the same gospel. Do not measure my calling from God to lead you by how I deliver or how talented I am or how awesome my resume is. Measure it by the content of the gospel in both my letters and my presence with you. Now look, look what he says. Not that we dare, verse 12, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. What is he saying here? You guys are dealing with a group of teachers that have brought to the table the large brochures and the great resumes and the awesome ministry philosophies and the leadership skills, and they are comparing themselves to the other guys. They're saying, look, I'm a better speaker than him. I'm more inspiring than him. I have better leadership skills than him. I have better ministry history than them. I have better credentials than him. I am better, better, better. And he said, these guys misunderstand how we are to judge leadership. We're not judging leadership by determining among the human beings who's the best. Because all of us are terrible when it comes to trying to do stuff that's going to be for eternity without the Spirit of God leading us. In fact, God says anything you and I bring to the table without God bringing it to the table for us and through us is like dirty rags and completely useless. So he's like, they don't even understand how to determine what healthy leadership looks like. They're going, I'm better because I'm better than him. Well, I'm sorry, he's no good either. So how does that make you better? And that's what Paul is saying here. Now look at this. But I will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. Why is he saying this? See, what we find out about these guys, and it was typical of these traveling uh, 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 teachers and rabbis trying to extract platforms where they could lead have ministries that are sustainable. What they would do is they would come into spaces and they would say, listen, I want to show you what God has already done through us. I mean, we were, we were in Jerusalem and, and we were under these teachers and then we were doing these things and then I started this ministry and it exploded into this and then it had that and here's the brochure and here's what it looks like and because of that, we are more effective than those guys. 
so you should follow us. We, we see this in our world all the time today. We, we really do, especially in the Western culture. The, the, probably the best example I've ever seen of this that I see today ongoingly is when uh, evangelists travel to third world contexts and then they go preach the gospel and then they're, on their website they track how many people come to Jesus, right? And, and the bigger the numbers, the more support they get because clearly God is behind them because they're super successful. They're super evangelists, right? So they go around and they say, oh my gosh, in the last year, 4.7 million people came to Jesus in Africa. I, I was born in Africa. I grew up in Africa. I know how Africa works. Okay, here's how Africa works. Okay, when you go into a school in Africa, if you make an invitation to receive the gospel, do you know how many kids put up their hands to receive Jesus? All of them. They all do. If you make an invitation to follow Satan, do you know how many kids put up their hands? All of them do. If you make an invitation to anything, they all put their hands up. Do you know why? Because these, these big guys roll in with their big trucks and they roll in with their candy and they roll in with their pens and they roll in with their stuff and the kids have figured it out. Whatever the guy on the stage invites you to do, just raise your hand and eventually you'll get something. And so they come in, they preach the gospel in thousands of schools and they just say, how many kids in the school? Oh my gosh, all of them just came to Jesus. Those kids have come to Jesus hundreds of times. And then they put in their brochures, 4.7 million have come to Jesus. And here's what Paul's saying. I am not gonna roll like that. I do not need to boast to you about the ministry I did in Philippi and the ministry I did in Ephesus and the ministry I did in, in Athens and the ministry I did in Galatia and the ministry I did uh, all, all over the known world so that you would see that God is behind me because somehow I am doing it better than the rest. That's how those guys are rolling. That's not how I'm gonna roll because I don't need to. You see, all I need to talk to you about is what actually happened in Corinth. And let's talk about that for a second. Who came to Corinth when you didn't know Jesus? Oh yeah, that was Paul. Who preached the gospel to you when you were not a church that had matured enough to be wealthy enough and behind us enough that you'd actually be a worthwhile ministry to start discipling so that you could fund ministry? Oh, that was me. Who was there when you wanted to beat me up and arrest me and kick me out of town? That was me. And when did these bozos show up? Right about after a year and a half of maturing, when you were a church that had resources that you were collecting for Jerusalem and they went, oh, and they came to you and said, don't, don't, don't give those resources to Paul to take to Jerusalem. He wants to keep them for himself. Give those resources to us and together we will see the blessings of God. So he's like, look, I'm, I don't have to boast beyond my territory. I don't have to make stuff up to make you think I'm cool. I don't have to do that. And people that have to do that you need to automatically be suspect of them. That's what Paul is saying. Now watch this. He'll actually say it. He's not going to be subtle about this. Look at this. But, verse, uh, verse 15, we do not boast beyond limit in the, in the labor of others, but, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in others' area of influence. What has Paul just done? He has just given the full purpose of the leadership of the church as God sends the leadership out into the church. Here's what Paul said. Do you know what our hope is, Paul says? Their hope is to demonstrate to you how awesome their ministry is so that you would follow them and fund them. Here's my hope. 
that I would do ministry among you in such a manner that you would know the gospel so clearly and be so convinced and compelled by the gospel to live a gospel life that you would go out into the lands beyond Corinth and you would share that gospel and you would live that gospel so that the gospel goes out into lands that isn't even my arena and that my boast would not be in what I have done but in what you have done for the gospel and that I played a small part because I got to disciple you. That's what I hope for. And these guys are trying to tell you to circle up and support them so that you all can be blessed of God. I want you to go out. I don't want to boast of ridiculous things. I want to see real things happen with real people that really understand the gospel. And look, he says it right here. For the one who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who condemns or who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Paul is setting it up to say, the purpose of biblical leadership is to equip the saints of God to be devoted to Jesus and on mission for the kingdom of God so that they might live their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel as ambassadors of Christ. And then there is no need for boasting of who has done what because that's not how we roll. Paul will later on write to the church in Ephesus. We'll get to it in 2026. Um, But in chapter four, I just wanna give you a glimpse into what's coming in the next decade. So here it is, right? Uh, Chapter four, just listen to what he says. And God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the purpose of leadership in the church. So when you are around leaders in the church, when they are done with you, if you feel better about yourself and you feel better about what God is going to give you and you feel better about what you need to do in order for God to give you those things, then you are following the wrong leaders. But if you feel more compelled to die to yourself and to give yourself away for the sake of the kingdom and compelled by the gospel to engage in difficult things on behalf of Christ as an ambassador of Christ, then Paul would say, now we're talking. He's not done, watch this. 11.1, I love, I love this, here's human again, watch. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do, do bear with me, it's actually right there. Do bear with me, see? This is Paul going, okay, I'm gonna get a little sappy, okay? But it's okay, because I'm Paul, and I'm writing. I can get a little sappy. So just bear with me. And that's in the Bible? It's like, I, I, I wonder if God didn't go, Paul, Paul we, can't, we can't write that down, buddy. <laughs> Paul's like, please? And God's like, okay, write it down. It'll be funny when Renaud preaches it. Okay, so, <laughs> I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. Watch this. 
for I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one we re- uh, you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Do You see Paul's a little mad. Do you see that? You guys, look, bear with my foolishness for a second, but I'll tell you why I'm getting a little ticked off. Because I am jealous for you. I love you, Church of Corinth. I discipled you, Church of Corinth. I set you up, Church of Corinth, so that you would be betrothed to Christ, that you would be fixed on Christ, you would be captivated by Christ, and you would live for Christ, so that when the winds of false teachers would come through your system, you would recognize that, and you would not be tickled in the ears and chase after the insanity of a gospel that's telling you he exists for you instead of you existing for him. But it seems that the first time these bozos came through and went, oh, Paul's gospel is a lot of difficult stuff. You just need to gather up and God will bless you. You went, oh, we like that one better. And I'm deeply hurt, Paul says. This would have struck home in this context because in the Jewish context for the dad of a home who had a daughter, it was the dad's responsibility to protect his daughter to the day that she would be betrothed to a husband. And at the wedding, the dad would stand and it would be his responsibility to say, I want you to know, as I present my daughter to you, she has been protected. She is pure and ready. And if the, if the, if the dad couldn't do that, it was an epic shame. And here Paul's saying, I came to you and I betrothed you to Christ. And these guys come along, preach a different Jesus and a different gospel with a different spirit and you buy into it hook, line, and sinker and you start accusing me of not knowing Jesus. Well, I'll tell you why I'm being difficult with you about this because I'm jealous for you. It's like watching a daughter run amok and I'm like, no, I will not have that. I will come after you and I will tell you this is insane and you need to wake up because this is destructive and I came to build you up. Now look at this. Look at what he says next. For if someone comes, uh, I'm sorry, we, we, we already did that. Here we go. Verse six, look at this. Uh, verse five, indeed, I love this. Here's sarcasm again, verse five. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Don't you love that? I love Paul. He's like, let's talk the super apostles for a second. We, get, we got the super apostles and then we got me ordinary apostle but I want you to know I'm not inferior to those super apostle bozos, okay? Because, look at this, even if I am unskilled in speaking, which by the way, Paul was not, and am not, I, I am not so in knowledge, indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Here's what Paul is saying. The gospel we preach to you has been consistent every time we've been with you and every time I've written a letter. These guys are like the wind, tossing back and forth. But the gospel I preached, its content is pure and right every time. It is the whole gospel and it leaves nothing out. It is the beauty of the gospel and the freedom of the gospel. It is the call of the gospel and the difficulty of the gospel. And it is all of it. We are both rescued and redeemed in our future, but also called into a purpose that requires some hard stuff on this planet because we are redeemers on behalf of Christ, and that's gonna be hard. And he says, look, I preached that gospel to you from the get-go, not this other gospel these guys preached. 
And now he says this. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way again as the truth of Christ is in me. This boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? No, God knows I do. What is Paul saying? Saying, guys, look at me. These guys that are preaching this gospel to you and undermining me, they are preaching the wrong gospel to you. You are buying into it in a way I thought you were better at. And they are using the very actions that demonstrated my gospel life against me to tell you that they're better than me. Here's what they were telling the people. Do you know why Paul didn't accept money from you? Because he knew he wasn't good enough. He knew he didn't have the resume. And if, and if you started accepting money, then you'd have to dig into who he really was and then you'd find out and then it'd go bad. So he just kind of did it for free. But we, we are better than that. We have the credentials. Remember there was that whole thing on credentials that Paul had to talk about? We have the credentials, we have the stuff. And so here's the deal. Paul was weak. That's why he, took money, he didn't take money from you. And here Paul is going, listen, do you know why I didn't take money from you? Because the brothers in Macedonia loved you so much that they said, when you first go to Corinth and those guys are not ready to really engage in gospel living, we will fund you so you don't have to extract resources from them so that they won't think you're about the money. Other churches laid themselves down for you. Do you see how Paul's frustration is coming out a bit here? Everything that's been held against him is actually gospel preaching and gospel life and a tremendous jealousy and love for his people. And now he closes out this way. Look at this. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claims of those who would like to claim that it is their boasted mission that they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it should be no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. You see, I told you, I call them bozos. He calls them servants of the devil that are deceiving you on his behalf. See what Paul's doing here is saying this. Listen, you as the church need to know how to assess who it is you follow and who it is you allow to speak into your story. That's what he's saying. You can't just have the next inspirational leader walk on by and podcast something awesome or have some giant ministry or seem to move giant things and therefore God is behind them. Do you know how many times I've heard people tell me God must be behind that person because look how big their ministry is. I know lots of people that have built giant things that God has never been behind. Building big things is something humans can do, by the way, without God. But making those things matter to the kingdom of God is nothing a human can do. And what he's saying here is this. The way the Corinthians were evaluating who to follow and who the right leaders for the church were, were dead wrong. And it was causing great destruction in them. And in doing so, he was preparing them for his visit to regroup and say, when I was sent, I was sent to equip you in my love for you to follow Jesus well so that you would live free. 
And in this beautiful unpacking, Paul in our cultural context gives us some clues as well because we live in a very similar cultural context to the Corinthians. We honor talent in this culture. We honor inspiration. We honor orators. We honor people that can tickle the ears, that can make us feel good. We do because we are a feel-good culture. And because we do, we often follow people that build big things and say wonderful, inspiring stuff. And what Paul is saying is be careful. Be careful that you do not evaluate your leaders through their podcasts and their wonderful inspiration and their incredible big things they build. That is not what measures a biblical leader. Now, it doesn't mean that if you do those things, you are by definition not a biblical leader. It means that just because you do those things, it doesn't mean you are. What did Paul say we should look for? What is the purpose of leadership? That a leader and the leaders of the church would speak into the people of the church the things they need to hear to be equipped to do the work of the ministry, the work of the gospel, and to be unified in our journey after Jesus, devoted to him and on mission for the kingdom. If you are following people in podcasts, on videos, or in a church, and when they're done with you, you feel better about you, you are probably in the wrong space. You need to feel better about Jesus and about the incredible privilege you have to be a participant in the gospel with him. And you should feel more confident than you did the day before to lay down more of yourself for the kingdom of God. Leaders ought to love you. Do you see Paul? He said, I'm jealous for you. Jealous for you. They ought to love you. They ought to have a heart to want to serve you rather than being served by you. Leaders that use people to elevate themselves and their platforms and their worlds, be super cautious. They ought to be for you, you ought not to be for them. Leaders ought to preach the whole gospel, the entire thing, even the parts that are hard that cause people to leave churches. Leaders that don't preach the whole gospel and are afraid that people will leave churches if they bring the truth are not leading you into benefit, they are leading you into destruction. And they are self-centered, they are not Christ-centered. And leaders ought to be living the gospel before you. First boots on the ground after Jesus so that they can say, follow me as I follow Christ. And if the leaders you follow are not living the gospel, preaching the gospel, loving you well, and equipping you well, then you ought not to be following them. What Paul is telling us is that in a world of podcasts and inspirational talk and giant ministries, we ought not to be so quick to evaluate someone's godly leadership through their talent and ability, but through their content and through their humility. And that needs to be true here as well. You ought to evaluate the leaders of this church the same way. And if we are not living up to that, then we are not worthy of you following us as we follow Christ. And you ought to speak into us and say, "Uh uh-uh, this is not okay. Just as you, as you aspire to be a discipler, as we all ought to, and lead others, whether it is one other person or 10 or 100 or 10,000, you ought to remember that a biblical leader, I ought to remember that a biblical leader equips the saints, loves the people, preaches the gospel at whatever cost it may be, and lives the gospel before he asks or she asks others to do the same. With that structure in place, we can evaluate carefully who it is we listen to, who it is we follow, 
who it is we buy into so that unlike the Corinthians, we are not swayed to and fro like a bride not paying attention to the voices in her head. We have it. Let's go do it. This is how the gospel informs who we are as leaders and who we follow as leaders in our churches. Let's pray. God, thank you for this incredible, awesome unpacking of what it looks like for us as people to seek out leaders to follow and for us as people to seek out to be leaders for others to follow. May we in this place continue to press into the gospel informing our leadership and informing those who we give ear to. May we give ear only to those who are preaching the whole gospel, living that gospel out, loving the people they shepherd well, and equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, not those who are seeking platform, elevating themselves, demonstrating through their wonder the incredible things they're doing so that they might gain support and do more of it, but instead those who are boots on the ground, preaching the gospel, doing the work. Show them to us that we might get behind them, and God, make us those people so we might lead others well. Thank you for this extraordinary book you've given us, 2 Corinthians, and this beautiful piece of it. Help us to be wise in where we go. In Jesus' name, amen.